Chapter Twenty Two of Ruth Erskine's Son by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A loyal heart. The friendship so strangely started between Mrs. Burnham and the girl thrust upon her conscience grew apace. As Ruth had surmised, her old friend Flossie had lost none of her charm with young people, and she won Maybelle's fascinated interest from the first moment of their meeting, an interest that developed rapidly into love. When Mrs. Roberts' young people came home, an event that Ruth at least had dreaded for Maybelle's sake, it was found that the charm was increased. Ruth, in writing to Erskine about them, which she did at some length, had added, I might have saved you much of this description by simply saying that the children are very like their mother. Even Erskine, tall and muscular as he is, a thorough boy in every sense of the word, and a manly one, yet has that indefinable indescribable charm about him that our little Flossie always had and always will have, should she live to be a hundred. Bless her, what a blessing she would be to this old world if she should. Do you realize, dear, that he is your namesake as well as mine? At first I was not sure that I wanted another Erskine. There is but one to me, you know, but Erskine Roberts is such a splendid repetition of the family name that we cannot but be proud of him. But she gave no description of Maybelle, and mentioned her name as little as possible. She shrank almost painfully from the thought of writing about this girl to one who ought to be deeply interested in her, as in the nature of the case Erskine should be if he knew, and yet looked upon her as an intruder, almost resenting his mother's efforts in her behalf but if she kept silence about her to Erskine, she atoned for it in the amount of time and thought that she bestowed upon the child. As the weeks passed, and she grew to better understand this child-woman with whom she had to deal, she found herself bestowing upon her a wealth of love and tenderness that she had not supposed any but her very own could call out, and her love was returned in royal measure." However much Maybelle might admire and love Mrs. Roberts and enjoy her son and daughters, she had given the wealth of her heart unreservedly to Mrs. Burnham. "'Next to Aunt Mamie, I love you best of all the world,' she would declare as she patted Ruth's shoulder with a loving little touch that was peculiarly her own. "'It ought always to be Aunt Mamie first, you know, because she—she she mothered me all those years when I was hungry for a mother.' Dear Mrs. Burnham, if she were your daughter, and I could be your granddaughter, would not that be perfect? But that couldn't be, of course, for Aunt Mamie loved her own dear mother better than any other mother in the world, and she was a dear. I loved her very much, but how many different kinds of love there can be in the same heart? She broke off to say, with the air of a dreamy philosopher, different kinds of loves and different kinds of unloves, ever so many of them. The heart is a curious country, isn't it? By that time Mrs. Burnham had come to understand Miss Parker's absorbed interest in the girl, which continued unabated even amid the absorbing interests of a strange land. She wrote long loving letters to the child of her adoption, and long earnest ones to Mrs. Burnham about her. There have been times, she wrote, when I have almost regretted that I left the dear girl all alone, and came away out here, where weeks must intervene before I can hear from her. I felt this especially after I found that my brother, 
although very glad indeed to welcome me, had made interests here about which I knew nothing, one that is to help make a home for him in the near future, so that as far as care and companionship are concerned, he could have done very well without me. When I first began to understand the situation here, I was puzzled and just a little bit troubled over the question why I had been allowed to come, or rather left to think that to come was the only right course, when apparently I was much more needed at home on that dear child's account than here. But after reading Maybelle's letter, I understood that it was in order to leave the way clear and plain for her to your dear heart. You can do so much more for her than I ever can hope to. How blissful the darling is over her new friendships and interests! I am glad that you have kidnapped her loyal little heart, just as I knew you would. Poor girl! Mrs. Burnham said softly to herself after reading this letter. She has one of those hungry hearts that Maybelle talks about, and she fancied that her brother could fill it, instead of being quite satisfied with his generous corner of it. I wonder if it can be possible that she cared for the child's father as the Madame hints. That would account for—but there is nothing to be accounted for. One could not help loving Maybelle. I must tell Miss Parker that she is always to have the first place in that curious heart, while I am enthroned as second. Dear simpleton! Then, as the thought crossed her mind, not for the first time, that the one who should hold that first place might be named Erskine, the uneasy conviction shook her that in such event certain ugly truths would have to be revealed. But she put the thought from her as soon as possible. She could not plan for the future, and for the present Maybelle and Erskine Roberts were simply comrades heartily enjoying each other's society, as her own Erskine and Alice Warder had done, without apparently other thoughts than those shared with them by Marion Roberts, who was Erskine's twin. Ruth wrote to Miss Parker that same evening, giving her a detailed account of one of her talks with Maybelle. "'You may well call hers a loyal heart, my friend,' she wrote. "'You should hear the pathetic way in which the child talks about you by the hour. Yesterday she said to me, "'Sometimes I used to wish that I could call Aunt Mamie mother. She was the only woman that I ever had such a thought about. I suppose it was because she came close enough to give me an idea of what a real mother would be. I mean to keep her always for my heart mother.' There can be heart-mothers, you know, and in some ways they are almost as dear as real ones. Oh, I wonder if you know how a girl like me sometimes longs and longs for a real mother. I think it is the only possession that I ever envied. Sometimes, Mrs. Burnham, I have been fiercely jealous for hours together, so that I almost hated the girls who chattered about their mothers. Wasn't that dreadful?' Oh, I cannot think what would have become of me long before this if I had not had Aunt Mamie. This much Ruth Burnham wrote and stayed her pen. Was it necessary for her to tell all this? To lay bare even to this woman who knew so much the depths of a suffering young heart, thereby revealing the magnitude of the mother's sin against it? And that mother was her daughter, her son's wife. She wanted to write it, there were times when she wanted to shout it out to all the world just what manner of woman was being sheltered by her name and home. She knew that she would never do it, but ought not Mamie Parker, who had mothered the child, to understand? 
She thought long, she shed a few struggling tears that seemed to burn her face. The hurt at her heart was too deep for tears, and then she hid her face on the writing table and talked with God. The end of it was that she tore the sheet across and threw the fragments into her grate, and wrote again. You may well call hers a loyal heart, my friend. She loves with a depth that seems to me unusual in one so young, and she has enthroned you at her heart's very centre. I want to say just here that I do not think she overestimates what you have done for her. I believe you have saved her to herself. Meanwhile, the days that Mrs. Burnham, without any definite planning, had thought might be given to her visit, lengthened into weeks, and still she lingered in the east. Erskine was astonished, was bewildered, was half indignant, yet she set no date for the home-going. One reason for this was the fact that Mr. Robert's stay abroad, which was to have been very brief, had been much lengthened by unexpected business complications, and his wife was begging her old friend to stay with her until his return. But of course there was no real excuse for this, as she had her children and multitudes of home friends about her. The real reason was that Ruth could not decide to leave Maybelle. The girl clung to her with an ever-increasing abandon to the joy of having to her very own one who knew how to be in every sense of the word motherly. Certainly she was nearer real happiness than her confused life had ever been before. From being one whom some of her schoolmates pitied and patronized because she seemed to have no friends of her own except a somewhat doubtful father, she had become almost an object of envy. All of the girls at Madame Sternheim's knew Mrs. Evan Roberts by reputation, and highly exaggerated stories of her house and her friends and her lavish expenditures, for certain of them, were afloat in the school." but it chanced that Maybelle was the first one of the schoolgirls who had entered the charmed circle of Mrs. Roberts' friendships. When it became known that she was being sent for three or four times a week to take dinner with the Roberts family, that she went on Tuesdays to luncheon, that she spent most of her Saturdays and Sundays in the same choice home, interest in her comings and goings became marked. Then, when she began slowly, and almost reluctantly it must be admitted, to choose out some especially lonely or homesick or timid girl to take with her to dine at Mrs. Roberts's, her popularity knew no bounds. Madame Sternheim, too, during these days, was gracious almost beyond recognition. It was not that the good woman had not meant to be gracious always. She had been faithful to her duty as she saw it, and poor Maybelle, who confessed that she had hours of almost hating her, had in reality very much for which to thank her. But Madame Sternheim was very human indeed, and the daughter of a poor artist father with a questionable past and a doubtful future, whose only friend apparently was a very fine young woman, it is true, but a woman without family and with no reasonable way of accounting for her interest in the girl, and nothing to show how soon the interest might cease, for that matter, she had already gone away off to China for no reason in particular, unless it was to be well rid of her charge now that the father was gone, was one person, and a girl who had apparently been adopted into the inner circle of Mrs. Roberts' family was quite another, especially now that the poor father had been respectably buried, 
and all doubtful or uncomfortable things could be forgotten. Madame Sternheim was relieved and pleased and hopeful. She liked to have Mrs. Roberts' carriage stand before her door, waiting for Maybelle. She liked to say to certain of her patrons, "'Oh, the coachman is used to waiting. Our dear Maybelle is almost certain to be tardy, but then she is so much at home at Mrs. Roberts's house that she can take all sorts of liberties. Oh, yes, she dines there several times a week, and often takes some of her classmates with her. Dear Mrs. Roberts welcomes my girls to her home as though she were their elder sister. What a charming woman she is! Really, when one comes to know her intimately, one feels that the half has not been told concerning her." and Maybelle was blossoming under this rain of love. Her cheeks were rounding out a little, and taking on a touch of color, and her eyes were growing less sad. She had by no means forgotten her grief, nor put aside the thought of her father. On the contrary, she liked nothing better than to talk of him by the hour to a sympathetic listener, while to be allowed to talk about her mother was to give free vent to the one pent-up passion of her life." It was to Mrs. Burnham that she talked most freely, though Mrs. Roberts' young people were sympathetic, and Erskine, especially, liked nothing better than to hear long stories about the artist and his method of dealing with a picture. "'He made them up,' Maybelle would say, "'composed them, you know, or made a plot, as you do when you write a story for your college paper. The picture grew just as a story does. That's an idea,' Papa would say, when I was sitting meekly enough beside him, telling him some story about my day. That's a look I never saw before. Let me get it, Maisie. That was one of his dear names for me. He had dozens of them. And he would seize palette and brush, and work for a few minutes as hard as he could, then sit back and gaze at me and think, and I knew that a new picture was born, and would have to be watched over and nourished and developed. It was very interesting." Yes, indeed, he painted me a hundred times and in a hundred different ways, but they did him no good. He never would try to sell them or even show them. They are all boxed up with our other things and stored. Aunt Mamie took charge of them. He told her they were never to be sold. I think it was because my mother's picture was always mixed in with them, and he could not bear to sell her. He used to make pictures of me sometimes that he said were like Mama there would be just little hints of me about them, not a likeness of me at all, but a beautiful girl, and the tears would come into Papa's dear eyes when he looked at her, and he would say softly, It is her image. When Maybelle talked in this way to Ruth, she once or twice said wistfully, It must be beautiful to be loved in the way that my father loved my mother. But Erskine Roberts never heard any words of this kind. End of chapter 22